Father, that is just true. Father, to you alone all praise belongs. Christ is exalted over all. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to you. And you promise to be with us to the end of the age, to see the great commission fulfilled making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you are over all. And Father, I pray you would be in all. Father, I pray right now that these would not just be words sung on a screen, but God, they would be the anthem of our heart. A heart that longs for you, a heart that desires you, a heart that sees its need for you, a heart that in faith believes that you are able to do more than we could ever ask for or imagine. That can happen here today. You are the same God, the same power that conquered the grave. Oh God lives in us if we are in Jesus Christ. And so I ask in Jesus' name, God, right now, whatever distractions are there, whatever anxieties maybe have been brought into this place right now, I pray we would leave them at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. That we would do well to pay attention here now to your word. That we would humble ourselves under its authority over our lives, knowing that you promise to bless us when we do. This is the blessed life, humbling ourselves under your authority. May it be so here today. Lord, guard my mouth from error. Give me clarity and unction and power from the Holy Spirit. And I pray we would be changed, that we would encounter Jesus Christ And we would not be the same people as when we came in here this morning. And even if we could go back to be those people, we wouldn't want to be. Because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We pray this in the awesome name of Jesus Christ. And church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we're continuing right now, church, in our series through 1 John called Walking in the Light, verse by verse, word by word, through this incredible book. And last week we looked at uh, our, how true followers of Jesus Christ are called to live out the true gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives by walking in the light. And if you remember from last week, the light is a picture of God's holiness, God's purity, God's righteousness, his moral excellence, living our lives, embodying the truth of God's word. And notice with that, we also say it had to be done in the power of Christ. We were reminded how we are completely incapable of doing this without the power of Jesus Christ in us, because if we try, it just turns out to be legalism, turns out to be humanism. Turns out to be frustration. And why can't I ever measure up? Here's why. Newsflash. Because you and I were never meant to. That's why we need a savior. That's why we needed a savior. And this week now, John moves on from that. He's given us the exhortation, the person of Christ, how to walk with Christ in the light. And now he gives us a, a, a sufficient look at the sufficient work of Christ over our lives, which makes all of that possible, and what it means for us as Christians in our battle against sin. And, and I'm not, you know, sometimes Natalie, my wife, will say I tend to be a little dramatic. I'm literally not trying to be dramatic on this, but here's the reality of it. Why are you smiling? 
Yeah, okay, just saying, church. Love you, love you. Here's the thing. We have to realize something about these two verses. You say, can you have a whole message on two verses? The answer is yes. And here's the reality. Because what's contained in these two verses right here are, honestly, church, nothing less than this. Write this down. Two of the most critical verses in all of Scripture about describing the work of Christ on the cross and what he accomplished for us. Right here, these two verses, they are jam-packed. By the end of the message, you'll be like, oh, that's why we did two. That's why we did two. And here's why these are so important. You'll see it on the screen. This is going to set the tone for the entire message. A right understanding of the work of Christ is crucial for living in the power of Christ. A right understanding of the work of Christ is crucial. And I mean that crucial for living in the power of Christ. We're looking at 1 John chapter 2, 1 to 2 today. And our title of this message is Our Advocate. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, throw up your hand just like this. And our ushers are coming forward right now. We want to put one in your hand. We take God's word seriously and he has something to say to us. Amen? And so let's follow along making sure that we are in tune with what he's doing. So as you're flipping to that, 1 John 2, 1 to 2... I have a question for you, and this is not a rhetorical question, and it is this, quite simply, yet profoundly, why did Jesus Christ die for you and me? Just think, why did Jesus Christ die for you and me? Now, some of us, if we've been in Sunday school or around church, we we'll always say, well, you died to save me from my sin. Okay, yeah, that's, that's true. Do you realize what that means? You realize what that means? And how that should impact literally every day of our lives. Every moment with your spouse, in your classroom, with your children, at the job, here in church, how we view the church of God, how we serve in the church of God. Do you realize what that means? Why Jesus Christ died for you and me. And some of you may be here saying, well, wait, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, praise the Lord he brought you here today because here's the reality. This applies massively to your life. And you might think, well, I'm not a Christian, so that doesn't apply to me, but um, it completely applies for you. And here's the reality. It has eternal consequences for you. Oh, it applies. And you're not here by accident, I'll tell you that. And you say, well, why is this so important? This understanding the work of Jesus Christ, what he's done. Isn't that just some big Bible theological concept that really, how does it impact my day to day? Well, here, here's, here's why this is so important. Because we have an increasing problem, you and I, and the culture in which we live, and it is this. We live in a world today that's constantly trying to undermine the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and our need for it. We live in a world today, as we looked at briefly last week, that is constantly pressing us to minimize sin in our lives. And therefore, you minimize the impact of sin in your life, you start to minimize the impact for your need for a Savior in this life. This is an increasing problem. Do you notice this? I think it's worse today than it was 10 years ago. You agree? 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 Yeah. It's an increasing issue. 
And what happens is this leads to distortion, doubt, and deception on what Christ's death and resurrection means for those who do and don't put their faith in him alone. Lives are literally hanging in the balance of this truth today. So tune in, get your pens, this is crucial, and let's see what God has to say. Here in this text, John is writing to give clarity and encouragement to the believers in their fight against sin and to counteract the false teaching of the Gnostics as we've been looking at over the last two weeks that was plaguing the church back then and is still doing this today. There's nothing new under the sun. And John is writing to stir them up by way of remembrance what being saved in Jesus Christ actually means for their lives. John isn't necessarily writing anything new to them that they haven't heard in theory before, but he's stirring them up by way of remembrance and pressing it in by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you can't forget this, guys. We could sum up what these two verses are talking about. He's reminding them of what the gospel or Jesus in my place actually means. And here, John gives us two crucial truths. We must, everybody say must. We must remember and embrace to live out what Christ's death and resurrection means for us as we engage the battle against sin and against the enemy in our lives. And if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that we want to honor God, the authority of God's word, so we're going to stand to read it. Let's stand to read God's word together. 1 John 2, verses 1 to 2. Christ, our advocate, John says, My little children, look at the tenderness right there. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. These are two verses filled with life-altering truth. Here's the first point we need to embrace. Number one, Jesus Christ died in your place to be your advocate before God. He is your helper. Jesus Christ died in your place to be your advocate before God. He is your helper. Look at the first half of verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You see, here John is addressing the genuine followers of Christ. We looked at last week. What, how do we know? What's the test of a genuine believer from one who just claims the name of Christ but whose walk doesn't match the talk? Right? A lot of proclamation, not much practice. Right? So here John's addressing the genuine followers of Christ in the church who have responded to the gospel, repented of their sin, and confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Notice he uses the term there. I love this. I love this about the son of thunder, John. See the tenderness right there? My little children. This is not a condescending tone. He's not like, oh, little kids. Uh-uh. On the contrary, he's like, my little children. There's a term of endearment that is there. His love, his pastoral heart for the sheep in his church that has been entrusted to him by God. Now, see the little children there, the Greek word there for that means this. Someone who is, ready? Deeply loved. Deeply loved. 
And after using a strong tone in the previous chapter in describing the person of Christ, the incarnation, in describing walking in the light and true followers of Christ from those that are false, John now begins this section with a fatherly or pastoral tone of affection which demonstrates the deep love that he has for their church as their spiritual father. And he tells them the purpose that he's writing to them what he's been writing for the first 10 verses in chapter one and continues on here. The purpose as to why he's writing to them and reminding them of the foundational truths of the gospel was so that they may not sin. Now, wait a second. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Last week gave you definition of sin. We're gonna reiterate it here. Sin is anything that we do that breaks God's law. Basic, fundamental, one-on-one definition. Sin is anything that we do that breaks God's law. Okay. Now notice what he says. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now look at the back half of verse one. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, right here, John goes on to say that even though as Christians, we should always be desiring to walk in the light and not sin, the reality is this. You and I are gonna sin. That's the reality. You and I are going to sin. Think about the decompression that must have just happened as the people were reading that letter. That you may not sin. It's like, <laughs> but if you do, <sighs> right? We will not be sinless on this side of eternity. There is a glorification coming for our bodies, for all of those who have professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but that's coming when Christ comes. That's not now. It is impossible for us to be sinless in this life. But here's what John's not doing. John isn't giving us a license to sin. He's not saying, okay, okay, I'm writing these things that you not sin, but if you do, okay, cool, I can sin. I'll just keep going on sinning. I'm good. He's not giving us a license to sin, loved ones. See, here's why. Because true recognition, notice this, true recognition of God's grace and forgiveness for us through Jesus Christ should always lead us to pursuing him in his power in obedience to him, not pursuing more sin. If we are genuinely saved, it should lead us, the knowledge of his grace and his power and his goodness in our lives and the growing love for him should always lead us to move towards him. This is why Philippians 1.6 says, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, there's a promise, see it through to completion. Growing in Christ-likeness, growing in the light, growing in the truth, in the image of Christ. But what John does say here is this, that when a genuine follower of Christ does sin, this is so, hey, I gotta tell you, you know, I can tell pretty much, high percentage, what kind of week I'm gonna have depending on the text I'm preaching. (laughs) It's the crucible of my life in so many good ways. But here's the reality. He says, if anyone does sin, they have an advocate before God the Father. And their advocate is the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, who is perfectly righteous. See that? If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, the righteous there, don't forget, don't forget God's righteous standard. The Greek there means perfectly right, holy, and innocent before God. That's why he says, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Not 
Ray Kaprowski, the righteous. Not anyone else. We have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the one who is perfectly holy, perfectly innocent before God. Awesome. And yet, in every way, and this doesn't count, you say, well, he's with God. Well, listen, don't forget, he became a man. Fully God and fully man. He was tempted the same way you and I were. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Tempted the same way with the same things you face this week. The same things that are coming up in this week for you. He was tempted with sin. He had the option right there. It's in front of him. He had to make the choice just like you and I have to make the choice. And yet he did not sin. And he went to the cross to pay the penalty that you and I deserved, was killed and rose again three days later, defeating sin and death for all time. Amen? That's a great spot for an amen. That's Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one who is our advocate, the one who acted perfectly righteous. Now speak. You see what John's doing here? This is mind-blowing. The one who acted perfectly righteous now speaks on behalf of those who don't. Awesome. Awesome. Man, I'm glad I got an advocate. Are you? I'm so thankful I got an advocate. He is not contaminated by sin, and he is the only one who's qualified to intercede before others, to, from others, before God. He's the only one who's qualified to do that. You say, well, what does interceding mean? We'll get to that in a moment. That's good news. You're going to want to hear that. See, because here's the reality of this truth. This truth changes everything. This truth changes everything. And so we're not just going to rush on and say, great, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ. Do you realize what advocacy means when Jesus Christ is standing before God Almighty himself, his Father, interceding for you and me? We're going to drill down to get a clear picture on what John is speaking of here when talking about Christ as our advocate. Here's the first thing we need to understand. The word advocate there. Greek word is parakletos. Parakletos, and it means this, helper. Here's the advocate for you and me if we're in Christ. Helper, comforter, intercessor, called to one's aid. Helper, comforter, intercessor, called to one's aid. This is one, it means one who speaks on behalf of the accused. Awesome. Modern day illustration of that, the closest thing we could get, a defense attorney. We have some lawyers here in the room, so you know what I'm talking about. The closest human relation we have to that is a defense attorney. Now this term, parakletos, is very important. It's used five times in the New Testament, four in the Gospel of John, and once here. In the, in the book of 1 John, four times in the Gospel of John, it's used to refer not to Jesus Christ, but to the Holy Spirit. There's one time in the New Testament it's used to refer to Jesus Christ. Right here. Right here. Think about this. Think about this. Let's not rush past. It is Jesus himself who takes up the cause of believers before the Father when we sin and speaks on their behalf. 
It is Jesus Christ himself who takes up your cause and mine if we are in him to defend his children. Now, think about this. Okay, Jesus Christ, let's refresh our minds, refresh our hearts. Who is Jesus Christ? The one who created all things. The one who sustains all things. The one who has all power. The one who is perfection. There is no defect. He is perfection itself. The one who is completely holy and has all authority over all things. Complete authority. The one who, if we are his followers, stands for you and me as our advocate before the Father when we sin. This is Jesus. But here's the here's stunner for me, as if I'm already not under the table with that truth we just looked at, is this. He's advocating for the ones that killed him. You and me. Just let that sink in for a moment. That's that's mind-blowing. That's awesome. And honestly, loved ones, I'm just going to say this. I don't care what else you call love. Nothing else comes close to that. As the love of Jesus Christ for his children. Because here's the truth, simple truth. You and I can never be and we're never meant to be advocating for ourselves. And the truth is this, loved ones, you and I are completely defenseless. Everyone say defenseless. We are defenseless against sin in our lives before God without Jesus Christ. You have no defense attorney without Christ before God. You have no helper. We have nothing we can plead with before God to gain us forgiveness but Christ and his plea for us. You say, why is that? Why is that? There's a lot of things that I can use to build up my credibility. No, there's not because here's the reality in this statement. You'll see it on the screen. Our specialty as humans is always offense against God, which is our sin. It is never our defense before him, which is our righteousness. Our specialty is always offense against God, not our defense before him. So let me ask you a question. Who or what are you relying on as your advocate before God? Who are you relying on today or what? Say, well, what do you mean? Here's a few examples to get us thinking. Good deeds. Good works. Trying to somehow earn a defense for yourself. Earn your salvation. Earn favor with God by checking off your list of do's and don'ts. Maybe it's the affirmation of other people. Don't our flesh just, doesn't our flesh just crave the affirmation of others, church? Maybe if enough people speak up for me, then I'll have some favor with God because he'll see how good I am and what what I've done for all these other people. There's one That must speak up for you and has given his life to do so. 
Maybe it's legalism. If I just serve, 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 and make sure I attend church every Sunday and memorize 20 verses a week and blah, 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 then I'll somehow have stock with God. doesn't work. We're not to be advocating for ourselves. None of these things are worth it. Can, none of those things can make you righteous before him. There is only one who can. You can't earn righteousness. It's a gift. It's a gift from God Almighty himself through his son to us. And so let's drill down and see what Christ as our advocate really means. What does it mean to have Christ as our helper, our comforter, our intercessor? Well, first one, three truths is Christ as our advocate. You'll see it on the screen. Number one, he's our helper and defender. He's our helper. Same word, defender. Against the condemnation of our sin that without him would condemn us before God and subject us to God's holy and righteous wrath against all sin. One sin committed at one point, and the Bible says we are is so clear we are guilty of breaking the whole law. You can't undo that on your own. You can't undo that by being a nice person. He's our helper defender because here's the reality: simple truth. Without him, without Jesus Christ as our advocate, we are always defenseless and totally helpless. But with him, in him, we are always defended and always helped before God. There's no middle ground there. Romans 8.1, you say, how do you know this? Look at this, look at these beautiful truths. Write these down. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no Like none, zilch, nada, not even a part. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation before God when you are truly in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.33, who shall bring any charge? See that? Where's a charge? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Those are his children. It is God who justifies It is God who justifies. Someone needs to hear that here this morning. That it is God who justifies you. Not your work, not your deeds, not your success, not your legalistic pursuits of religion, not how many daddy dates you took with your kids. It is God alone who justifies you. Through Jesus Christ. Three truths of Christ as our advocate. He's our helper or defender. Number two, he's our comforter. This is just parakletos unpacked. He's our comforter. Look at Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Lord willing, in the new year, we're going through a whole sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. I love this verse. Blessed are those, Jesus says, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word mourn there means to be grieved over our sin that we have offended a holy God. Not just like, oh, I sinned today. Nah. Thanks, Jesus, you hooked me up. Like, think about the impact of sin. One sin, all sin, deserves God's righteous wrath poured out on you and me. One. Blessed are those who mourn over sin. Not only does Christ, notice this, not only does Christ help or defend us before God in our sin, but he also comforts us to restore us and cleanse us from it as we mourn or repent of it and confess it to him. 1 John 1, 9, we looked at it last week. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the comforter in action. That's the comforter. 
Now, notice this. You know what? Watching the news this week and just having some different conversations with different people. You know what I noticed? This world is obsessed in the pursuit of comfort. You notice that? Obsessed in the pursuit of comfort. And yet they're walking further and further away from the only place where it can truly be found, Christ alone. Three truths about Christ as our advocate. Number one, he's our helper, defender. Number two, he's our comforter. And look at this one. Number three, he's our intercessor. Now, the intercessor means to do this. Bring a petition on behalf of someone else. To bring a petition on behalf of someone else. Romans 8.34 says this. Who is to condemn? I love that. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand, that's a symbol of power, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed, love the emphasis, Paul didn't have to give us that, but he wants to make sure we knew it, who indeed is interceding for us. Awesome. Awesome. Who indeed is interceding for us, the urgency behind that. And when our enemy, know this today, that when our enemy, Satan, he stands before God too. Only he's not interceding for us. He's accusing us. He's accusing us to God the Father. And when our enemy Satan stands before God, accusing us to him, see what they did? See how they're guilty? See the lack of integrity they're living with? See the words that you're using? See the stuff that they're filling their heads with? See this? See the lack of integrity they're walking with at work and in their home? See that? See that God? There's the accusation. This is what's going on all the time. When he stands and does that, see how they're guilty? Jesus intercedes for us right there. Jesus intercedes for us right there and says, right, right. But remember what I did for them. He's with me. She's with me. She's with me. Are you with him? Are you with him? Jesus says, I've literally got them covered. And at that moment, it's game over. Why? Because loved ones, Jesus always has the final say. Amen? Jesus always has the final say. So when you're there and the enemy is pounding on you, Getting you to live with guilt and regret and despondency and condemnation and accusation. Remember who has the final say if you are in Jesus Christ. It's at those times where you say, God, I'm not feeling it. But in faith, you gave your life for me to be my helper, to be my defender. You are interceding for me right now and you have got it. Give me faith to believe it right now and shut the mouth of the enemy over me right now. It is for freedom, loved ones, that Christ Jesus came to set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery because you have an advocate before you and he loves you. Don't listen to that. It's time to step out of the slavery. It's time to step out of the fear and the despondency and start walking the freedom that Christ came to give you and that he's interceding for you right now on behalf.
of what he's done for you. And here's what we have to remember. Write this down. It's not going to be on the screen. Write this down. Here we go. Ready? Christ's intercession for you is always stronger than Satan's accusation against you. Done. Christ's intercession for you is always stronger than Satan's accusation against you. You resist the devil, James 4, 7, and he must flee. He's full of smoke and lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. Nothing he says is true. Nothing. He's the father of lies. It's all he knows how to do. Do not give him word into your life. You have an advocate if you are in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, you are helpless against that. You have no defense. What Jesus says goes, not based on what you've done, but what on he's done for you. Amen? Yes, Lord. So let me ask you a question. Has Christ become your advocate? That's... It's not an earth-shattering question, but it is a life-changing one. Has Christ become your advocate? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sin and you believed that he came to die for you, to take your sin upon the cross, to absorb the wrath of God for you, so that in him, as you confess him as your Lord and Savior, you may have eternal life with him? And be out from the condemnation of this world. Have you done that? Most important question in your life. And if you have, okay. So I was challenged with this week. If you have, let me ask you the question. Does your life reflect one that is lived in awe and remembrance of this truth? Right here. That you have an advocate. Jesus Christ. Does your life reflect a life that is lived with an awe of God and a reverence for him for what he has done? The perfect one, the holy one, the awesome one came and died for you. Or are you living under the condemnation, guilt, and shame that Satan throws at you? If you are living under that, loved ones, you are not walking in the truth of this, and therefore you are not walking in the power of Christ through it. How many of us sit under so much guilt and shame we are not meant to carry in Jesus Christ? So here's the follow up. Just take a moment, write down what do you need to bring before Him right now? Just what's that thing? What's that thing for you? What do you need to bring before Him right now? Just write it down and confess it to Him. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Jesus Christ died in my place to be my advocate before God. He is my helper. I lift my eyes. It reminds me of Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you. Maker of heaven. Creator of all the earth. The perfect one. Jesus Christ died in my place to be my advocate before God. He's my helper. And Jesus Christ can be your advocate because he became your propitiation to God. 
He is your substitute. You say, well, how can Jesus Christ be my advocate? Here's why. John now shifts to why Jesus can be our advocate. Look at verse two. Let's read the whole thing. It's so good. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, John now gives the reason as to why Christ can be our advocate before God on our behalf. Here's why. Here's why he can stand and knock out the accusation against his children, and it is this, because he died in our place and paid the penalty before God that we deserve for our sin. And in doing so, he satisfied the wrath of God. He satisfied the wrath of God against sin that would be on you and me. Okay, propitiation. Hands up if you think that's actually a really big word. Hands up, hands up. Yeah, there you go. Woo-hoo! There you go. So, We want to make sure we're clear with God's word. So let's unpack that a little bit, okay? Here we go. Propitiation. The Greek, you'll see it on the screen. It says this. Here's what it means. Atoning sacrifice or satisfaction of God's required penalty for sin. Look at that. There we go. There we go. Yes, we need to see this, right? Here we go. Atoning sacrifice or satisfaction of God's required penalty for sin. Okay? which only one who is perfect and has never sinned can give because of God's perfect... Remember we looked at this last week? Because of God's perfect standard of holiness. Only one who is perfect can give propitiation. And this is why God became a man. Fully God, fully man, word become flesh through Jesus Christ in the incarnation so that he could be our substitute. He could not be our substitute if God did not become a man. Do you recognize that? He couldn't be our full substitute. He wouldn't have been tempted in every way. He's, look look at the awesome nature of God. Ready? We need some good theology on this. Ready? God is completely transcendent. That means he's above everything. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, he is completely imminent, which means present. Psalm 46.1, our God is a very present help in times of trouble. He's completely imminent with you and me right now. That's why he became a man. Love. Love for you. So that when you're sitting in that place, he's like, I know, I know, I care. Cast that on me because I care for you. When you're in that place of doubt, I know. When you're in a place of hurt, I know. Place of temptation, I know. The perfect holy one, He could not be the substitute for human sin if he didn't become a human. And so propitiation, let's break this down. We want clarity, we want understanding. Two parts to this. Here it is. Number one, two parts of propitiation. Sacrifice is the first one. Sacrifice, this is what it means. Christ's death absorbs the full wrath of God for sin, which was poured out on the cross. He absorbs God's hatred towards sin, For you and me. The righteous wrath that you and I deserve for literally every sin we commit. So that's the first part, the sacrifice of Christ. But now look at the second part, the atonement in Christ. The atonement part of propitiation says this. It removes. Christ just doesn't sacrifice himself and take on the wrath of God. He takes it one step further in the atonement. And he removes the impurity of our sin in our lives. And t- this, is, this is staggering. 
He turns what was the wrath of God for you and me towards us, and he turns it towards favor with God. He turns it towards favor with God and a reconciled or right relationship with him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin... And hey, loved ones, I love the fact I see so many people taking notes. This is... Yes. Remember this. Think about this. Take this with you. This changes everything. It really does in how we live our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. So that in him, we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God. He takes the impurity. And therefore, when we sin, and there's that accusation against us, our advocate steps up and says, she's with me. Remember what I've done. My blood on the cross of Calvary has covered that. And God receives it. That's love. That is love. Who is, hey, hey, church, question. Eyes up here for a moment. Question. Who's like our God? Who's like our God? No one. Amen. No one. There is no one like our God. No one. Make no mistake. God sending his son to die for us, to give us new life in him, is no less than the greatest act of love of all time. And reminder, there is nothing you can do to earn this. Nothing. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. This not of your works so that no one may boast. I love this. Look at 1 John 4, 10. You'll see it on the screen. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation the sacrifice, the atonement for our sin. We can't even love God if he didn't love us first. Completely defenseless, completely helpless. Christ has done that all by his grace for his glory. I love how one commentator put it this week. He says, the cross is the place where God's holiness and love meet. The cross is the place where God's holiness, his perfect standard of holiness and righteousness, meets with his love. Awesome. You'll see Howard Marshall said this, commentator, does a great work on this book. He said, God himself provides the means of our forgiveness and pays the cost of it. God himself provides the means. You can't do it. He did. And he pays the cost of it. No, hey, and just, just, I was watching the news recently and this thought hit, no other religion or God does this, right? No other God or religion does this. Every other religion is like, you gotta work, you gotta strive, you gotta try to earn this, you gotta wear certain clothes, you gotta eat or not eat certain foods, you have to engage in self-mutilation or, or soul agonization as some call it, and maybe, maybe you'll do enough or pay enough cost for God to decide to have favor on you. There was an entire day devoted to this yesterday at Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. In Judaism, an agonizing of souls, they call it, because they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. 
and therefore do not have his free gift of salvation. But notice this. Here's a crucial point. Back half of this. Notice in the back half of the verse of verse 2. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John makes it clear that Christ's death was not just sufficient to cover the sins of John and the other believers reading this letter, but Christ's death was sufficient to cover the sins of all humanity. It was sufficient to cover the sins of all humanity. Every person who has ever lived, every person who's living right now, every person who will ever live, for the sins of the whole world. But, everyone say but. But although every single person who has ever lived or will live is in desperate need of the saving blood of Christ, the reality is this. And I say this in love for you. Not all will be saved. It doesn't mean all will be saved. Hear this today. Hear this today as we start to close out. I want God desires reconciliation to all, and He offers forgiveness to all, but only those who choose to repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior will be saved. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. How do we know this? Don't take my word for it. Let's take God's, okay? A little more authority there, I think. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. He's talking about when he's coming back. He's coming back very soon. He's not slow to fulfill it, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all, all should reach repentance. He's not wishing that any will perish. He's waiting. He's holding back, coming back to give you another chance to say, repent now. Do it now. I'm coming soon and I am patient. I'm waiting for that to reach repentance, choosing to turn away from their sin and turn towards Christ. And some of you may be here today as I was for so many years before Jesus Christ by his grace got a hold of my heart. And you might say, I've done too much sin. I'm in too deep. I've walked away from God for so long. I'm too hurt. I've hurt too many others to forgive me. And hear this, know this, know this right now. That is a lie from hell. That is an absolute lie from the pit of hell over your life. You'll see it on the screen. Here's why. No one is beyond the reach of God. He's got sovereignty, he's got all authority, but you must make the choice to turn to God. And he calls and he beckons, and you must make the choice. Question, what choice will you make today? Is the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to the need for a Savior? What choice will you make? And believers, if you're here and you've made that choice, to follow Jesus Christ. My question for you is this. Again, go back to it. Are you still living in on remembrance of what Christ has done for you on the cross and giving his life for you to be your advocate, your helper before God and to be your propitiation, your substitute to God and what it cost him to do this? Or, or, 
has familiarity with it somehow numbed the everyday reality of it in your life? Familiarity can be a disastrous mindset, can't it? We just hear it so often, take it for granted. What would look differently if you lived in the reality of this truth every day? How about the joy that we live with? The thankfulness we wake up with each day that Christ has purchased us. The urgency with which we live. I hope you feel that urgency right now. The urgency with which we live to share the gospel, courageous clarity with those around us. How about the urgency and the appreciation with which we worship? With which we worship, we can't not but raise our hands. We can't not but sing from our hearts. No hands in pockets, nothing like this. Like, you're worthy, you're awesome, you're my advocate, you're my substitute. I have nothing without you. Ask him, ask him, how would my life look differently? Lord, help me through your spirit to apply this. Well, there is no better way, loved ones. There's no better way to be reminded of what Christ has done for us than through taking the Lord's Supper together. The ushers are going to be coming up forward in just a few moments here. The worship team can come forward right now as we prepare for communion. There's no better way to remember this. This is what it's for. And communion's a time to remember the death of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made on that cross over 2,000 years ago to pay the penalty for our sin, the penalty which you and I deserved. And he suffered and died that we may receive forgiveness of sin and walk in freedom and in new life with him. Isaiah 53, 4-5 puts it this way. Surely he has borne our griefs. There's the certainty. Surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. That is our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the wrath of God, that brought us peace. And by his stripes, we are healed.